0: Thanks for joining us for a North Greenville University Chapel service.
1: Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Can you hear me? Oh, wow. This is sick. Welcome, guys online and people in chapel. It's great to see you all. Um, appreciate it. Uh, well, first of all, I just want to state my name, Joseph. Uh I have the privilege and honor to welcome uh, one of my good friends, Jared Sanders, Um, and just how we met, like we've been friends for for a bit, just mutual friends. Um, Didn't really like talk to each other, I didn't know the guy, Um, but I think like all those years that we missed in college got all bundled up into this final year that we have together. Uh, We get to like live together and like uh, get to chill, get to hang out, get to eat, like everything all three years that I think we would have done together. um, It's all up on up in this final year that we have together. Um, But Jared, for you guys that don't know, um, he's, he's one of like one of a kind guy, like he is there for you. Um, He's willing to listen, he's willing to just drop everything that he's doing, and just listen to what you have to say. And that's the important thing, like listening first, and then responding. Um, And Jared does that so well. Um, and I'm just so thankful to have him in my life. And so, uh, something that I want to read uh, for old buddy Jared. Um, if you guys, guys want to open up to John chapter 4. And so, I'm going to read from verse 1 to 30. And then I'm going to skip a few and hop in at verse 39 through 42 to finish. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink for me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink you would have him ask you would have asked him he, and he would have given you living water the woman said to him sir you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep where do you get that living water are you greater than our father jacob he gave to he gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and livestock jesus said to her anyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again but whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, "Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water." Jesus said to her, "Go call your husband and come here." The woman said to her, "I have no husband." Jesus said to her, "You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had 5 husbands, and the one you are and the one you now have is not your husband." What have you said is true? The woman said to him, "Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet." Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will, will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and, now is, and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to her, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Now jump to verse 39. Uh, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world.
2: Amen. I pray that you are thankful, that you are thankful for the word of the Lord, uh, and that we can run to this and find a wealth of knowledge and wisdom. And this first song that we're going to sing is titled, His Mercy is More. And I'm going to read short little three verses, four verses, that will kind of frame up this song. It might be unfamiliar to you, so I want to give you the scripture reference for it, starting in Lamentations 3 verse 22 it says because of the lord's faithful love we do not perish for his mercies never end they are new every morning for great is your faithfulness i say that the lord is my portion and therefore i will put my hope in him if you guys will stand we're going to worship in both spirit and truth this evening
3: Praise the Lord. all-knowing, key counts, not there some thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. What Father so tender is calling us home He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more Praise the Lord, His mercy is more On us, his blood was the payment, his life was the cost. We stood neath the debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many, his mercies more. Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord!
2: Amen. Let's continue to sing together with yet not I but through Christ in me.
4: Bye. The price it has been paid For Jesus fed and suffered for my pardon And he was raised to overthrow the grave To this I hold, my sin has been defeated Jesus now Chains are released, I can sing, I am free, and not I, but through Christ in me. With every breath, I long to follow Jesus, for he has said, That he will bring me home. And day by day, I know he will renew me. Until I stand with joy before the throne.
2: thankful that our hope is only in Christ alone and it is in his righteousness that we are able to stand with joy before the throne. Let's continue to sing together that our hope is only in Christ alone.
5: In Christ alone my hope is found So God in helpless faith this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the one Oh Precious blood of Christ No guilt in life, no fear in death This is the power of Christ in me From life's first cry to final breath Jesus commits my death in me. No power of hell. Me home here in the power of Christ, I'll
2: stand. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for the opportunity that we have just to be able to come to you and worship. Father, we are able to worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, I thank you for Jared, Father, and just the friendship that we share together. Father, I thank you for all of the lessons that we've gone through together. Father, and all the classes that we've gone through that have built our friendship. Father, I thank you for his faithfulness to your word. Father, help him to uh, preach Christ and him crucified tonight. Father, hide him behind the uh, cross of your son. Father, we ask that through the working of the Spirit, Father, that you will convict the hearts of men. Father, that you will turn stone hearts into hearts of flesh. Father, you will save someone this evening. Father, we are thankful that we are able to be saved through the blood of Christ. That our hope is found in Him alone. Father, I pray that we are reminded of that tonight. I pray this all uh, in His name. Amen.
0: Well, good evening, North Greenville. <laughs> hey, Graham. <laughs> um, as you know, I'm Jared Sanders. I am a senior Christian Studies major here at North Greenville, and I, I really want to echo the sentiment that. Ethan had this morning, that this is one of the coolest, um, just the greatest opportunity that I've had here in the past four years. I am incredibly honored to have this opportunity, and I'm incredibly honored to share it with several different people. And so over the past few weeks, the past month, uh, me and a few other guys, we've been walking through together what we were going to speak on tonight, and that's been incredibly cool to see each of them pick a passage and think through what they're going to speak on. It's been really cool to be led and worshiped by my peers and by friends that I've been uh, going to class with and and doing life with for the past few years, and so at the risk of sounding cheesy, I really think Christ has made the difference here this week and with all of my friends. (laughs) Um, Also, I didn't get a chance to, but I want to say thank you to Joseph for that uh, introduction. I really appreciate you and the friendship that you bring uh, to me every day and just living together, and that's been amazing. And so if you haven't already, go ahead and turn to John chapter 4. We're going to look at the life of Christ and his dealings with a woman at the well who was a Samaritan. Because this is the word of the Lord, before we really dive in, I'd love to go before the Lord and ask his blessing and ask his guidance over our time together. Dear Heavenly Father, um, we thank you so much for this opportunity, for the opportunity to stand up here, share your word, share the gospel that you have presented to us God, I ask that you guide our time tonight, you remove any nerves, you remove any distractions from any of us. I ask that you open our eyes, open our hearts and our ears so that we can hear and be obedient to what you call us to do. God, I humbly ask that you, uh, as Ethan mentioned this morning, that you hide me behind the cross and that people only see you and that in they no way see me or how good or bad I may do. This is completely you and your glory. God, I ask you to guide us tonight. You guide me and spirit. Work through me in spite of me. Father, we ask all these things in your son's precious name. Amen. So over the past few years, you've probably noticed that the world is divided. I've noticed this myself where I live. So I, I live in Unit G, and it's, it's a blessing. Every day is an incredible adventure. Those dudes are crazy, but I love it, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. The world is divided, but we're also divided. You may know, there's a little movie coming out on March 31st. It's called Godzilla vs. King Kong. And so over the past month, over the past month, the guys and I, we've watched the Godzilla movies, we've watched the King Kong movies, and now our house is deeply divided. We are deeply divided whether King Kong is going to win this massive battle or whether Godzilla is going to win this massive battle. Half the house... um, who has chosen to be wrong, they think that Godzilla's going to win this battle. (laughs) And then the smart half, which I reside in, we think that King Kong's going to win this battle. But we are deeply divided as a house over this. Looking at the world and things that pertain to our everyday life and that are much larger scale than a, a simple movie, we look at the world. The world is incredibly divided all around us. In a 2018 IPSOS survey, we found out the following information. Now, this is a survey of 20,000 different people from countries all around the world. This isn't just America, this is all around the world. We find out that, according to the survey, 75% of people in the world think that their country and their lifestyle and the people around them are divided. That ups in America, where 84% of people in the survey think that our country is deeply divided. Of those 84%, 70% of them say that it is far more divided today than it was even 10 years ago. So it's getting worse. This division is getting worse. Of that, in the United States, there were three main things that really divide us, according to the survey. The first being politics. Another divisive thing would be people in different ethnicities being divided and against each other. And a third would be immigrants and people born in America, them being divided against each other. And so we see this world is so incredibly divided over race, over politics, over gender, over social roles, society roles, all of these different things. We're so incredibly divided. And so for the Christian, we look and we think, how on earth are we ever going to be united? How on earth are we ever going to be on the same page for anything at all? How on earth are we going to ease this division? How on earth are we going to get past this, this crazy divide that we have in our country and in the world in general? However, I think John chapter 4 and the life of Christ himself can paint a perfect example of how we as Christians should love despite the division and love through that division. And so a little bit of background on chapter 4, Jesus is meeting with a Samaritan woman. Samaritans and Jews did not like each other. They were constantly beefing, they wanted nothing to do with each other. So Jews actually saw Samaritans as a form of half-breed. Because the Samaritans, they held to the first five books of the Bible, but that was all they held to. And they mixed that with pagan rituals, pagan sacrifices, all of these crazy, crazy idol worship type things. And so the Jews saw them as half-breeds, as unclean, as dirty. There was massive ethnic and racial tensions between the two of them. And so in the context of our story, Christ is making the trip from Galilee to Judea. And so geographically speaking, Galilee is way up here. Judea is way down here. Samaria is right in the middle. Logically, the fastest way from point A to point B would be a straight line. However, Jews would oftentimes make a long trek all the way around just so that they wouldn't have to see any Samaritan, just so they wouldn't have to deal in any way with the Samaritans. That's how much they hated them. They were so much against them. So we're going to see three things tonight about love through division. We're going to pick up in verse 6 to begin. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, being weary as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. We see that Jesus is at the well, he's weary from his journey, as any of us would have been, and a woman comes to the well. She approaches at the same time. Normally this would seem like nothing, like someone's getting water. Cool story. But what's going on here is this woman's coming in the middle of the day. That's what the sixth hour means. And so normally in in the Middle East, you got to realize the Middle East, it's hot, like it's hot, hot in the middle of the day. So people would go early in the morning, or they'd go late at night to the well to get their water. For whatever reason, as we'll see later, this woman is coming to the well in a time when no one else would. She doesn't want to be seen. She wants to do this alone. She wants to be by herself here. And so Jesus responds to her uh, and asks for a drink. And he answered her, uh, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you the drink of the living water. Uh, before that, the woman uh, said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Right off the bat, verse 9, Jesus quick to the point, right off the bat. He breaks three cultural boundaries. He breaks three rules. He has three no-nos that you should have never done in this culture. Right off the bat, he is a Jew, and he's speaking to a Samaritan. He's already breaking that that boundary. He's he's kind of going against the cultural norm already in one way. Another way is Christ, who is a male by himself because the disciples had gone, is speaking to a woman who is by herself at the well. At this time, in public, one man and one woman speaking speaking to each other would have been seen as very scandalous. Again, Christ doesn't really care and he breaks this cultural boundary. At the same time, he's breaking a religious taboo. At this time, Jews didn't exactly like to ask for help. They didn't ask for uh, help to draw water. They didn't do that. Asking for help was a a sign of weakness, and so they wouldn't do that. Again, Christ didn't care. He didn't care about the norm. He didn't care about this because he had something else in mind, and he knew what was right, and he knew what he should do. It's important that Christ was willing to go ahead and break these barriers and and not really care about those because this woman who is in Samaria is never going to go to Jerusalem. She's never going to go to Judea. She's never going to go to Galilee. If Christ doesn't go to her, she's not going to go to him, and she's going to spend eternity separated from him. Therefore, in his sovereign knowledge, he understands that she's going to be there. He makes the trek through Samaria so that he can see her, so that he can have this that will inspire and go forward. I'm going to be very clear. The very first thing that we see about love through division is that love through division is an introduction between God and man. That's the first thing we're going to see. We notice off the bat in verse 9 and going into verse 10 that she's a little bit defensive. Culture would have dictated that she is beneath him because she's a woman with sort of a questionable past. The culture would have said that she's beneath him. And so Jesus would have had no business speaking to her. But again, Christ doesn't care about that. She gets a little bit defensive. And in verse 10, Jesus says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, uh, you would have said to him, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Jesus is doing something clever here. It's something that we should take note of and something that we should do. He's using a common object, object, a common theme, something that they have in common, the well where they're at, to illustrate the gospel. And he therefore uses that to illustrate a need. This woman comes every day at this time to get water. She doesn't come back to get water, she's gonna be thirsty and run out of water. She has a need. So he's using that, he's using something that they have in common and he's using that to illustrate the gospel itself, It illustrates the need for something. And he goes on, In in verse 11, where it says, the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw the water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Because he gave us the well and drank from it from himself, as as did his sons and the livestock. So this woman starts to get even more defensive and a little bit sarcastic here. She's, She's asking him, how on earth am I supposed to get you water? You don't have the tools. You're not ready. She's a little bit defensive at the same time. She's a little bit defensive about any notion of Jesus being special. We'll find out later in the story that this woman has had five husbands, and she's on man number six. So she's, she's a little bit defensive about Jesus claiming to be special in any way. Reading into it a little bit, this woman had likely experienced heartbreak being with this many men in her life. She had likely been charmed by different men, saying that they would love her well, that they would be there till the end, that they would care for her and love her for who she is. Uh, They likely charmed her, played played themselves off as someone special, and then left her broken. She had likely gone through that once or twice, or maybe multiple times. And so she's seeing this again and and thinking, hold up, what makes you special? What makes you special? but the difference here is that the Christ doesn't want her like that. Christ wants her in a, a different way. And so in verse thir- 13, he continues. He said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty and have to come back here again to draw water he continues to play on this idea of a spiritual need. This woman has a need. She doesn't quite understand the whole parallel quite yet, but that's going, that's the way that the Lord, that's the way that Christ is using this analogy to help her understand. She has a need, and there's something that he can provide that will fulfill that need, that will fix it. And so, we see that she thirsts for something. We are all in the very same boat. We all thirst for something. Every human being, no matter, whether you believe in this gospel or not, we all thirst for something. We try and fill that thirst with something. We we try and quench that thirst with something. It's not a new idea. It's not new to us. It wasn't new to John in the New Testament. In fact, we see in the Old Testament in Ecclesiastes chapter two, uh, in verse ten, where the author says, "Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, and my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil." Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. The author here of Ecclesiastes kept himself from nothing. He had this thirst, he had this longing of his being that he, he sought after riches, he sought after power, he sought after all of these different things, and he got it. He kept himself from nothing. He got everything that he wanted. However, he realized at the end of all of that that none of those material possessions, none of those relationships, none of those um, aspects of power, none of them fulfilled, none of them quenched that thirst that each of us have. Christ is offering to quench that thirst. He's offering to do that. This woman had likely um, tried to quench that thirst, tried to fulfill herself, find her identity in relationships. Uh, She had at least six that we know of, and so she's likely trying to fulfill herself, quench that thirst of, of her soul, of her being in men, in relationships. Many of us do the same thing because we will ultimately pursue what we think will fulfill us, what will satisfy us, what will quench that everlasting thirst that we have. We all pursue what we truly think will do that. We, we pursue what we think is going to satisfy. Oftentimes we think the next step in life will do that. I remember thinking in high school that I can't wait to get to college because I'll be free, I'll have all of this free time on my hands, I'll get to live with friends, I'll get to do all this, that, and the other. And then I realize that, okay, this isn't going to quench my thirst, this isn't going to do it, because four years roll by, and then you're thirsty again. Same thing happens to many of us in college, we think that marriage, once we get out, or that job, once we get out, or being free from the debt, or being free from this, that, or the other, once we're out of college, we think that will satisfy, we think that will quench that thirst in our life. We move on to the next thing. We think kids will do it. We think retirement will do it. We think trips will do it. We think all of these things will quench these thirsts in our life and make us happy that will satisfy us. We do this all the time. We're ultimately no different than this woman. We just choose to do it in different ways. Because at the end of the day, this is sin itself. The very essence of sin is finding satisfaction and quenching this thirst in anything other than Christ himself. So Christ is offering to this woman and an eternal living water that will quench this thirst, that will satisfy the longings of her being, the longings of who she is. She has this longing and need, and Christ is the one that can satisfy that in this living water that he's offering to her. Living water is a little bit different, or is a a stark difference than the well that they're at. So he's comparing the living water that he can give to her, which is eternal life and a personal relationship with Christ. He's comparing that to water in the well, So water in a well, when you think about it, it's stagnant, it sits there, it doesn't really come from anywhere very often. But living water is a continual stream. A continual stream is always renewed, it's always going, and it keeps going. It's not a source that runs out. It keeps going all the time. This living water is what we have as believers when we repent of our sins and we put our faith in Christ. We receive this living water in the form of the Holy Spirit, and it's something that starts at our conversion, and it goes, and it goes, and it goes, and it satisfies It doesn't mean that we'll never be thirsty again, but it does mean that we never have to thirst again if we are putting our faith, we're putting our hope, and we're putting all that we are in Christ. We'll never have to do that again unless we choose so. It's this idea that God isn't, he's not opposed to our satisfaction, he's not opposed to us being happy, he's not opposed to us quenching this thirst, but he is a good God, he's a righteous God, and he is a just God so that he knows that we can't find this living water anywhere outside of him. We can't find something to quench our soul of the thirst that we have. He can't find anything to fulfill us. We cannot find anything that will make us happy for eternity outside of him. He's not opposed to us being happy, but he understands that only he can truly make us happy. And so, as Christians, we have to make a choice when we do this. As Christians, we have this living water. We can be satisfied. We have the spirit that will satisfy us in Christ. We have to make a choice, because there's one or two ways that we can handle this. One, we make the statement that says, I'm going to be satisfied in Christ. I live my life, and I take joy in the relationship that I have with Jesus Christ because he died and rose and redeemed me. I am justified because of the work that Christ did. We take joy in that. That's our inspiration. That's what gets us up in the morning. That's what leads our life, We're not seeking after a relationship, we're not seeking after a job, we're not seeking after anything else outside of continuing this relationship with our holy and perfect Savior. When we do that, we are boldly proclaiming that Jesus Christ is true. We are boldly proclaiming that everything in his word is true. Nothing in it is is a lie and it is beautiful. We have tasted and seen that it is good and it is wonderful. However, on the flip side, as believers, when we choose to seek after anything else, when we choose to seek after relationships, when we choose to seek after academics, when we choose to seek after friends, when we choose to seek after pleasure or anything else in life that is not the living water that comes from a saving, redeeming relationship with Christ, when we choose to find our satisfaction in anything else, we are boldly, boldly proclaiming that Jesus Christ is a liar. Now none of us would want to do that. None of us want to stand up and say I believe that Jesus Christ is a liar. That's that's not what we believe. However, our actions lead others to believe that. Our actions show what we truly value. Our actions show what we truly truly think is going to fulfill us and make us happy. So when we when we try and find that anywhere else, we're proclaiming that Christ is a liar and that everything he promises does not fulfill us, it does not keep us from ever thirsting again. So the first thing we see about love through division is that it it does introduce God to men. It introduces men to the holy savior. But it also, love through division also means a confrontation between man and their sin. It's a confrontation between people and their sin. We pick up in verse 16, it says, Jesus said to her, go, call your husband to come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you were right in saying that I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. To receive this living water, sin must be dealt with. Jesus ends their little back-and-forth banner with a simple question that's getting to the longing and the need of her heart, of who she is. Sin is the starting point of our message it's the very starting point of the good news. The reason it's good news is because it's saving us from something. As, as Ethan beautifully illustrated this morning, the life of Christ is saving us and redeeming us from this horrific past where we were eternally separated from a holy and just God. The life of Christ redeems that for the believer. So sin is our starting point. And to ever think lightly of this sin in the first place is to think lightly of Christ. To think lightly of sin is to think lightly of the work that Christ did on the cross, and none of us should ever dare do that. So if sin is so important to God that he would send Christ in the first place to deal with this sin, how dare we ever try and cover it up as an embarrassment in Christianity? Sin's not fun. No one likes to talk about sin. Me and my friends, we don't sit around and, and say, Hey, you know what you suck at? You did this sin today. You know what you suck at? You did this sin today. We don't do that. That's not fun. No one likes it. But sin is the starting point of our gospel. Sometimes we do that. It's the starting point of this whole message. We have to deal with this. And so we see that unless we truly understand sinfulness, unless we truly understand our need because of this sin, then the rest of this message is going to fall on deaf ears. The rest of this message won't make any sense because we don't understand the fact for the need of a savior. It's it's not good enough to introduce someone to a savior unless they realize they need him in the first place. So, Christ here, he confronts the woman, but he confronts her in her sin because he loves her. He's not coming at her uh, trying to shame her, to embarrass her, to condemn her in any way. No, he's doing this because he loves her and because he cares about her eternity. He's doing this because he cares about the attorney that she can have in perfect relationship with him because of his work. That's what, he's care- that's what he's caring about. He's not doing this just so that he can prove that he's holier better than anyone. He's doing this because he cares, even though he is holier and better. Uh, we continue in verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Sometimes exposing sin causes people to run. Like I said, it's not fun to talk about. No one likes it. And many times people will run away if we don't don't do it in love and if we don't do it according to how we see Christ do so. It doesn't mean people will always be receptive. It doesn't mean that everything's gonna go perfectly every time we we deal with the issue of sin. It doesn't mean that. But this is the the model that Christ has, has perfectly modeled for us. He is the perfect model, and he's doing it right here. And so she asks about a issue that is actually dividing them. She's asking about the issue that's dividing Samaritans and Jews. And she's doing so because Jesus, he was speaking compassionately to her. He was speaking to her in a loving way where he was seeking her. He was after her. And so we continue. Verse 21, where it says, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, it is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus wasn't letting her get caught up in some theological debate which would not save her. Theological debates are important, and they're they're essential for us to have, but Here in this moment, he doesn't let that be the ultimate thing. He doesn't let that be the thing that defines their conversation. He's going back to where salvation is. He's going to go back to the reason and the need that she has for salvation. Jesus does affirm that God has chosen to work through the Jews in redemptive history. He also affirms that the temple is in Jerusalem. So he affirms these things, but he's not letting this become the end all be all. So at this point, Christ has just told her that she is a sinner in the previous verses and now he's telling her that her people have been wrong and the people she more than likely hates and the Jews have had it right in, in worshiping the temple in Jerusalem. He's telling her these things. Sometimes we're a little bit unwilling to tell the truth because it's difficult, but it's truth that needs to be heard. Christ, however, is unafraid. Christ is the only one who can ever claim that the fear of man did not get the best of him. He told the truth even though it wasn't what she would probably want to hear. However, he does soften the truth by showing that worship in Jerusalem is not the end all be all, it's not the ultimate thing because Christ is here. Christ is going to change things. Now, as believers, we worship our God and Father in spirit. So that means we don't have to go to Jerusalem, we don't have to go to the temple but rather we worship God through the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us as believers. That's how we worship. We worship through the Spirit to the Father. And so the message of this salvation is is important, but it's not tied to a location. It's not tied to a place. It's through the Spirit that comes through the living water in a redeeming relationship with Jesus Christ. And so he's, he's highlighting this over and over and over again. God is seeking the same thing for us. He's seeking for us to have this joy and fulfillment in worshiping him that comes through the Spirit. That brings true joy to the true believer. I I can think of nothing more uh, amazing than in here in chapel and and at church on Sunday mornings when I can hear the people around me and the congregation singing and worshiping and praising louder than I can hear the band or whoever's leading worship that brings true joy. Our worship brings joy through the work of the Spirit, as, as he's talking about right here. And so, we finish up in uh, verse 25 through 26. He's, she says, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you and he. At this point, she's kind of fishing. She's, she's got an idea. So, this this Messiah guy that people talk about, that I've read about, that's, that's hinted at, only he can really know all of these things. Only he knows his absolute truth. Only he has all of these answers that you're trying to talk about here. Would you know anything about that? And so, of course, he answers, I who speak to you am he. He is the one that she has been waiting for. He is the one that all of redemptive history has been waiting for this entire time. He's the one that has come to deal with the sin. He's the one that has come to uh, introduce all of us to this Christ who redeems, who saves, who brings us into a covenant relationship with him. So love through division, it introduces man to God. It's an introduction between God and man. Love through division also confronts people in their sin through love. Lastly, love through division, it results in an inspiration between the gospel and the world. It leads to an inspiration This is beautiful. Verse 27, Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town, and they were coming to him. The disciples, as we see many times in the Gospels, they didn't exactly have the right idea. They, they hadn't quite caught up to Christ here at the moment. They're, they're still a little bit off. So they're shocked that Christ is breaking this cultural boundary. He's, they're a little bit in awe that, like, he's talking to this woman who's from Samaria. Like, what, what on earth is this dude doing? Like, he should know better. And so they're kind of shocked. They're a little bit narrow-minded even. However, we can't make the same mistake that they do because we cannot judge at all. We cannot judge who will respond to the gospel, because the gospel doesn't discriminate. This woman was likely uh, viewed in this time as the lowest of the low, the lowest in society. That's exactly who Christ came for. That's exactly who he came for. This woman, she didn't think twice about who would respond to the gospel, so much so that she left her water jar there. She didn't stop to think that maybe the rest of the town, they won't listen to me because I'm a woman, they won't listen to me because of my questionable past she didn't stop and think twice. She was inspired. This is life change. This is radical life change. Christ has radically changed her life. This longing, this this need, and this pain, and this brokenness that she had had, Christ has taken that away in a saving relationship. That's, That's radically different than where she was. Christ has saved this woman, and so because of that, she is radically different. She is inspired and in no way can she keep that to herself. In no way is she going to stop and think, should I go tell anyone about this, or should I not? This is radically different for her. It's radically different. Because she was so radically different, people were compelled to come see that. You think of uh, the lowest people in society uh, for, for this time, and, and she's, she's the lowest of the low. And yet, something changes. The people around her see that something changes. They see that this woman who used to be full of shame and regret and pain, no longer is this way. This woman is different. And so the people around her, they're compelled to see, like, okay, has this woman drank the Kool-Aid or she found something real? Like, there's something different here. So we got to find out what it is. They're compelled to go see when they see the life change. The world is compelled to see what's going on when this happens. Every week I have the amazing blessing to meet with the one and only Brett Plyler every week for lunch. And so when I sit down with Brett each week, he, he sits there and says, Jared, give me some crumbs. And what he means by that is the verse that says, come, taste and see that the Lord is good. And so what he does is he's, he's teaching me and he's teaching those where he talks through this that we as believers, as Christians, should be tasting and seeing So evidently, so obviously, that the Lord is good. We should be so on fire in our relationship that people can't help but see the crumbs all over our chest and on our lap from where we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. This is something that should radically affect how we live, and so much so that other people can see it. People shouldn't have to question what we believe. They shouldn't have to question how we live. They shouldn't have to think twice about what we are about. Shouldn't have to. That's exactly What this woman is all about here. Continue skipping ahead to verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed. The Savior of the world. I want to be clear that her witness didn't save. Like her her herself is not the reason they were saved. It was still an encounter with Christ that saved. However, the Lord used that to draw people to himself. The Lord used her inspiration and her excitement for a radically different life to draw people to himself. We are in this very same vein. Oftentimes we look at stories, we try and fit ourselves into the story and say, which character am I? How do I do this? But in many ways, we're a little bit both in this situation. We are called as Christians to make ourselves like Christ. Christ lives a perfect, perfect example, therefore we should do as Christ does. We should try and love the way that Christ is loved in this passage. We should try and cross boundaries for others as Christ did. But at the same time, we're also the Samaritan woman. We weren't going to Christ, he came to us. He showed us our need for him. He saved us. He drew us to redemption. He radically saved us, and he radically changed our lives. Christ did that. We're the Samaritan woman in the same place because we were broken and full of shame and full of anything that was not him. We were trying to quench that thirst in anything outside of him until he came to us and he drew us out of that. He brought us out of that. As a response, we should absolutely respond the way the Samaritan woman did. We should absolutely be inspired with this radically different life that we have in Christ. We are creatures who were eternally separated, destined for a terrible, terrible eternity. And Christ did something to bring us out of that. Christ did something to completely remove us from that situation and place us in his good grace when we never did a thing to deserve it in the first place. That is radically different than anything else. That is radically different than finding our joy in anything else. That should inspire us. That should motivate us. That should get us out of bed in the morning. If that doesn't have an effect on our life, then we have a problem. We have to deal with that. Because this should radically motivate everything that we do, whether that is teaching, whether that is eating lunch in the cafe, whether that that is just living life with guys in your dorm. It should radically affect everything that we do. What good... Would it ever do us? When we think about the world that's divided, what good would it ever do us, and what good would it ever do anyone else if we walk out of these doors into the very, very divided world of people who are different and divided over all of these different issues? What good would it do if we walked out of these doors, we went to them, and we were great people? We were good people, we were kind, we were friendly, we were funny, and we made a whole lot of friendships. What good would it ever do any of them if that's where it stopped? What good would it ever do if we never introduced them to the God of the universe? What good would it ever do if we didn't show them the need for that God of the universe? If we didn't show them the need for Christ himself? What good would we ever do if we were never inspired because of how we have been radically changed? Because of the radical work that Christ did on the cross to save us, to redeem us, and to justify us? Because at the end of the day, the reality is this. That those who have truly touched the cross of Christ and experienced redeeming grace in Christ will seek to see the souls of men, seek to touch the souls of men for the glory of God. That is the truth, and that is an absolute truth that we should be following as believers. If we have experienced this amazing grace, we should absolutely be motivated to go forth, have peace in this, and share this gospel, and share the way that we have been radically changed. Surely, we can absolutely risk embarrassment, inconvenience, or anything that can come along the way in doing so, and loving the world enough to introduce them to the Savior, and loving them enough to understand that they are sinful and walking alongside them in that. Surely, we can risk that. So, what do we do now? How do we respond to this passage, and where do we go from here? As a Christian, on one hand, we have to ask ourselves some questions. One of which being, are we crossing boundaries to reach others? Are we crossing boundaries? Not en- it's not enough to reach uh, people who are different than us. It's not enough to um, cross boundaries to have an atheist friend, to have a Muslim friend, to have um, a black friend or an Asian friend. It's not enough just to have friends who are different than us, who may be divided over different political things or whatever. It's not enough just to be friends. It does mean that we need to introduce them to the God. It does mean that we have to deal with the sinfulness that they are, may be living in because that does eternally separate them. It's not enough just to cross borders, but we must cross these borders with the intent of pointing them to the Savior. We also must, in love, never stand for sin. This can't be the aspect of our faith and the gospel that we share. That can't be the aspect that we leave out. Because, yes, Christ does love, God does love, He wants us to have a relationship with him. He wants us to be in communion with him. But we can never help someone understand that if they're living in sin. We can never help someone understand that if they don't understand the fact that they are sinful and broken and separated from him. We can never begin to get through that. It's also something that we don't stop. As believers, this is a 24-7 gig. Loving the incredibly divided world is a 24-7 gig, and we never stop. Once we experience saving grace... It's it's go time, and we don't see the finish line until we take our last breath. This is something we do for the rest of our life, nonstop. There is no break. It's also important for us to understand the distinction, the stark distinction between different and divided. Difference is that God, in His amazing creativity, has created men and women in different shades of color, with different interests, different heights, all of these different aspects. Different is good, different is beautiful, and different glorifies God because of how amazing he made humanity in his image. Divisive and being divided is where we have a problem. Divided means thinking any of these categories that God meant as good, we think one of those is better than the other. Difference is great and beautiful. Divided is the problem. Division among the ways that God has created us has no place. On the other hand, if you are not a believer, then you have to ask yourself the question, are you happy, are you fulfilled, and are you thirsty? The living water that we have in Christ Jesus can eternally satisfy. You never have to look for that next relationship. You never have to look for that next job, that next uh, the next upgrade, that next whatever. You never have to look any further. Once we have that saving, redeeming, beautiful grace in Christ, we never have to look to the next thing. If you are currently going to uh, the next substance, the next idea, the next friendship, the next relationship, whatever, in hopes of finding that fulfillment, unfortunately, you're never going to get there. You're never going to find it. That's where Christ comes in. Christ is the one that does fulfill that does save and does bring joy and happiness and peace to our life. Because the, the links that Christ Jesus has gone to, to have a relationship with you, to redeem you and justify you, when you put your faith in him and when you repent of that brokenness and that sin that has separated us from God, when you do that, he, he would not, he want nothing more than to do that. It's the whole reason he came, is to start relationships with a broken people who never deserved it in the first place. So, I want to end with a, a little story in history. The second century AD, the Christian church was expanding, it was exploding, and it was on fire. It was beautiful, it was growing like crazy. At the same time, the Roman Empire was ferociously attacking them. They were throwing Christians to the lions, they were throwing them in prison without warrant, they were abusing them. It was terrible. However, the church was still, still growing. And then in 117 A.D., a man by the name of Caesar Hadrian became uh, Caesar in Rome. So he's, he's in control, and he's, he's making it part of his mission to snuff out this little cult following a man who was a Jew from Nazareth. He's seeking to end Christianity, to destroy it, because it is a threat to his power. And so he's doing everything that he can, and time and time time, he's, he's failing. This little cult, in his mind... It's growing and it's expanding, and everything he's trying is failing. Christianity is not going anywhere. So he decides to make a new plan. He hires a spy. The spy is going to infiltrate the Christian church. He's going to figure out how they do life. He's going to figure out what they believe, how they do life, and everything about them in order to use that against them and condemn them and destroy them. This is his way of getting rid of the Christian church. However, the plan did not go as planned. Here is a letter written back from the spy to Caesar Hadrian. O Lord, they love one another, and he who has gives to him who has not without boasting. When they see a stranger, they take him in into their homes and rejoice over a very brother. And if there is any among them that are poor and needy, and if they have no spare food, they fast. For two to three days, in order to supply to the needy their lack of food, such, O king, is their manner of life. And verily, this is a new people. And there is something divine in the midst of them. Christian, does this characterize you? Does it characterize us? Let us not fail to love this incredibly divided world outside of these walls, whether that's in a coffee shop, in a classroom, where you live, in the workplace, wherever. Let us not fail to love such a divided world where we introduce them to the Savior, where we introduce them to a need for the Savior, and where we allow our own relationship with Christ to empower us and to inspire us to go forth and love them. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, We thank you so much for this night and for these beautiful words that you have given us in your holy word. I thank you for the school and this university and the way that you have worked here so evidently in the past few years. I ask that you help us to be obedient to whatever you may call us to tonight, whether that's to submit ourselves to you in salvation where we put our faith in you and repent of our past brokenness and sins that have separated you, or whether that's committing ourselves to love the people around us, and introduce them to the beautiful Savior that has redeemed us. Father, we love you. Help us to to be obedient as we go from here. In all things, may we honor and glorify you. We ask all these things in your Son's name. Amen.
1: Hello, hello. So, thank you, Jared, for uh, being obedient to bringing that word uh, from John. That was truly amazing also from ethan this morning dude, that hit me um but good thing is it's the first day of student led renewal and so we have tuesday wednesday thursday and friday so this is just like a fantastic start to the week um but if you guys have any questions about uh what jared from john or um, i mean he'll be more than willing and ethan from this morning more than willing to talk to you guys furthermore about it but if you guys don't see them around campus, uh, we have a phone number on the screens that you guys can call, 864-800-6500. That's, yeah. Um, and so, thanks, thanks. And so uh, if you guys will pay attention to the screens, we have our speaker for tomorrow. My
4: name is Bethany Manley, and I'll be speaking Tuesday night for Student Led on February 23rd. I'll be speaking on Romans 5, 1 through 5, and what it looks like to practically live out hope and despair. I cannot wait to see you guys there.
1: Sweet. Guys are dismissed.